Make Walters your spot before and after the MLS All-Star festivities at Audi Field. Arsenal against the MLS Stars on Wednesday. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the set and the pitch. Swing and a line drive left center field. That's going to get down to base hit. Field on a hop by Bellinger. Ruiz has scored. Heading for the plate is Smith. He scores. Throw to second. And safe there is Dickerson. And so the Nationals plate two on a line drive in the left center field by Dickerson. And the Nationals now lead three to nothing. He turns into his windup and fires. And this one is blasted deep left field. Forget about it. That one is out onto Waveland Avenue. A long home run for Wisdom gives the Cubs their first lead of the night and their first lead of the series. It's Chicago four and the Nationals three. The kick in the pitch. Swing and a looping liner. Back goes Garcia. It's way over. Is that a base hit? Rounding third is Wisdom. He's coming home. Rounding second, heading for third, Mastroboni. And on at first with a single to right center and a run batted in is Nico Horner. As the Cubs add on here in the bottom of the eighth inning, they're in double digits. It's now the Cubs 10 and the Nationals 3. Runners second and third, two out. LaSosa delivers, and a swing and a line drive. Base hit by Nico Horner. One run will score, and they'll hold up Wisdom at third. Amaya across with run number 17. Nico Horner with his second RBI hit of the inning, and his third straight hit. In his last three at bats. Unbelievable. Cubs 17 in the Nationals 3. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, July 19th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Wrigley Field in Chicago. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, an MVP of this podcast for years now has been our friend Paolo Espino. He will always be the secret weapon to us, but unfortunately, what happened with our guy Paolo on Tuesday night is no secret. What happened with the Nats on Tuesday night is no secret. They got smashed a 17 17- Three loss at the Chicago Cubs in game two of a three-game series. And yes, the final score was 17-3. The Nats allowed the Cubs to score six runs in the bottom of the seventh and eight runs in the bottom of the eighth as four Nats relievers in the game combined to allow 14 runs in two and two-thirds innings. I mean, just a staggering bullpen performance by the Nats. The Cubs finished the game with 20 hits and four walks went a jaw-dropping 12 for 19 with runners in scoring position. That's now 
38 and 57. Uh, that is the second worst record in the National League. And the Nats' run differential now is at an even minus 100. That is the second worst run differential in the National League. Happy, happy, joy, joy. But coming up later in the show is some happy Nats talk as we have the promotion of third baseman Brady House to discuss. And we'll hear from MLB Pipeline senior writer Jim Callis on the man who the Nats took with the number two overall pick in the 2023 MLB draft, LSU outfielder Dylan Cruz. But Mark, what's amazing about what happened with the Nats on Tuesday night is that they were leading in this game, leading for a decent portion of this game. The Nats were up 3-0 in the fourth inning. And then, of course, came the rest of the game. This was a pretty good game for a while there, Al. And up 3-0, it's tied 3-3 after six. And if I had told you at that moment that the final score would be 17-3, I don't think anybody could have seen that one coming to that extent. Now, I'm not saying that I thought the Nats were in great position because we knew going into this game that if it was close, Davey Martinez was going to be bringing in some very young, very untested relievers. This is the situation they're in now. They have two guys left who are healthy and have any kind of experience or success in the late innings. And Mason Thompson and Kyle Finnegan, they both pitched beyond an inning in Monday's game, and that meant they both were almost certainly not going to be used in this one. And so we knew who was going to be coming out of that bullpen from underneath the right field bleachers, and we knew there was a chance it wasn't going to go so well. But did anybody see it going this horribly wrong? 21 of the Cubs' last 28 batters in this game reached base. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. It was rough. It was really rough. I mean, again, that final bullpen line, 14 runs in two and two-thirds innings. I mean, you almost have to like keep staring at it to make sure that it's real. Oh, it's real. Uh, And it was not spectacular. So, you know, I feel like a narrative coming out of this game is going to be, well, the Nats are really banged up in their bullpen right now. And that is true. They are. I mean, they just put their best reliever, Hunter Harvey, on the 15-day injured list with a right elbow strain. You have the likes of Carl Edwards Jr. and Thaddeus Ward on the 15-day IL as well. Uh, You've been without Tanner Rainey throughout this season. But I think it's important to point this out. This game on Tuesday night was only day two of being without Hunter Harvey. Like the idea of, boy, you know, no Harvey, no Edwards, no Ward, it's all catching up to the Nats. Like, no, this was day two of being without Hunter Harvey. And the truth is that a performance as bad as Tuesday nights from the bullpen could have happened with a healthy Hunter Harvey because we have seen this bullpen struggle this season. So I do want to highlight that. But there's no doubt that what happened on Tuesday night is frightening. You know, when you think about what could happen over the course of the rest of this season with this bullpen, especially if Harvey is out for a while and these guys don't get better, you know, where's the fix going to come from? You know, there's not going to be a fix. And, you know, I think it's been really interesting hearing Davey Martinez after these last two games. He has said, like, these guys are going to pitch. I don't have any other options. And he doesn't. And that's the thing. Yeah, so I'm going to run them back out there, you know, so they got to be ready. You know, in some ways, there's a lot to talk about off a performance like this. In other ways, there isn't because this is what it is. And either the Amos Willinghams and the like are going to pitch well or they're not. And if they don't pitch well, then what we saw on Tuesday night, we may well see more of. The most discouraging part of this wasn't the 14 runs they gave up. It's exactly what you're just saying. It's that there isn't some solution waiting in the wings. They're not going to make a bunch of roster moves before Wednesday's game that's going to fix this. That's not happening. Who's left? Who else is there to call upon until you just wait for somebody to get healthy? And 
Not that I think this is going to happen, but God forbid, what if they traded Kyle Finnegan before the end of the month? What does that leave them with at that point? I mean, I'm not saying that that should be the reason they don't trade him, but think about what they would be left with in a bullpen without Finnegan and with the other guys still injured. And that to me is discouraging. We talked the other night about, from an organizational standpoint, how big of an issue this has been, their inability to develop their own quality relievers. We're not talking about premier late inning, you know, all-star closers. We're just talking about big league relievers who can give you scoreless innings more often than not. They have not been able to do that. And so that's how they end up in a situation like this. Now, maybe someday we're going to look back and say, Amos Willingham and Jose Ferrer are stalwarts of the bullpen and they took their lumps early, but good on the Nats. They stuck with them and developed these guys into quality relievers. Maybe that will happen. But boy, right now, watching the way that went, it's hard to see that. And let's keep in mind, these are not blue chip prospects who got beat around. These are second tier, third tier prospects, guys who in Willingham's case had not pitched above single A before this year. Ferrer had pitched at double A last year. These are not elite prospects. This is who they have in their organization and they have to call on them right now because there is nobody else. Yeah, the truth is these guys could also be, you know, Wander Sueros and Alberto Baldonados, you know, forgotten names, names that were part of the Nats and didn't do so well for the Nats and have, you know, been forgotten by many people. That's what happens with a lot of bad bullpens. You know, you think about the Nats' uh, not-so-wonderful bullpen history, and the two seasons that most come to mind in terms of bad Nats bullpens, I think for most people listening, 2017 and 2019. Well, I offer this to you. The Nats, as we speak here, are 29th out of 30 major league teams in relief pitching ERA this season at 543. I mean, think about that bullpen number, a 543 ERA The bad bullpens of 17 and 19 stand out because those were really good Nats teams. The 2017 team, obviously, in the regular season and the 2019 team, of course, in the postseason. I don't know that it sticks with people as much this year because the Nats overall are not a good team, but we could be looking at the worst of the Nats bullpens since the franchise came to D.C. Like, it's possible that that is what is in front of us here. Sure. And, you know, even think about as bad as things were, say, in 19, the guys who caused that were players with experience. They were names that you recognized for the most part. They weren't just calling anybody they could find from double A or triple A and giving them a week or two and then didn't work out. These were mostly experienced relievers. Now, they didn't all do well, of course, but they had some kind of track record. What we're looking at right now is not even that. These are career minor leaguers or guys, like I said, who were in single A or double A a year ago. It's hard to do this, to to expect that this is going to somehow work out for you. And yeah, the injuries are hurting. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we're talking about, hey, Harvey, Finnegan, Thompson, Weems, maybe Doolittle is going to show up at some point. Maybe Rainey is going to come back like, hey, they could actually have some bullpen depth there. Boy, it was a thin line that they were on there and they have crossed over in the wrong direction. And, you know, I guess the good news is, We saw the A bullpen as it is (laughs) these days on Monday. It worked. They won the game. They weren't available Tuesday. If they're in a position on Wednesday, we're going to see those guys. Maybe they win. They actually win this series. But if you're talking about having a chance to win every day, they do not have the arms to do that right now. No, they don't. There's no question about that. Well, 
In terms of the autopsy of, again, four Nats relievers combining to allow 14 runs in two and two-thirds innings. We had Amos Willingham officially allowing four runs in two-thirds of an inning. He, in this outing, faced seven batters and got just two outs. He gave up a solo homer and three singles and issued a hit-by-pitch. He began that six-run Cubs seventh by giving up a leadoff tie-breaking solo homer by Patrick Wisdom on a moonshot to left field on a one-two pitch for a 4-3 Cubs lead. The homer winner projected 415 feet per stat cast. The lefty, Jose A. Ferrer, then got the call. He officially allowed two runs in an inning. He and that Cubs, six runs, seven, faced five batters and got three outs, although he, to the first batter he faced, gave up an RBI double by Ian Happ to left field for a 6-3 Cubs lead and gave up a two-out, two-run opposite field single by Miguel Amaya to right center for a 9-3 Cubs lead, although Amaya was thrown out at second base for the third out. Then came our guy, Paolo Espino, and you know, look, we've had a lot of fun with Paolo. I think the Paolo Espino story is actually a terrific story, but he was a disaster in this game. And things have not gone well for Paolo at the major league level this season. And I think you do have to wonder if he's about to get cut here by the Nats. Paolo, in what ended up being an eight-run eighth for the Cubs, officially allowed eight runs in a third of an inning. He faced 10 batters and got one out. I mean, he clearly was brought into the game to finish out the game, you know, classic mop-up duty, and he instead gave up eight runs in a third of an inning, and then the lefty Joe Lasorsa faced three batters and got two outs. The Nats don't have many options here, so I actually think this is kind of an interesting question. It's easy to say, well, cut Paolo. Well, but then who? I mean, again, this team doesn't have much. Do you think that we've seen the last of Paolo or not necessarily? Not necessarily yet, because as you said, um, you know, the number of options that's still out there is dwindling and pretty much anybody you would be calling up is going to be as inexperienced as Willingham and Ferrer are. And are you willing to find out how that goes? Because there's no guarantee that they're going to be any better. We've already seen them cut ties with several experienced relievers this year. And I'm not saying that those, you know, weren't worthy moves that they made because none of those guys was performing, but it almost feels like at this point, they'd be better off with Erasmo Ramirez and Anthony Bonda than some of the people they have. So they've kind of gone through the whole gamut of their options and there's not a whole lot left there. The thing that struck me about this one, and and it applied to Espino, but really all the guys, Willingham and Ferrer as well, They're just putting the ball over the plate, especially once the game gets out of hand. You're just trying to let them hit the ball and you hope you get out. They could not get out single after single after single. And what it tells me is that the guy's stuff is just not good enough. They were getting ahead. They were throwing strikes. They had two strikes and a lot of batters. They had no put away pitches at all. I mean, the Cubs were just standing up there waiting for a meatball and then hitting it over the infielder's heads for singles over and over and over. And there was nothing the Nats could do about it. I mean, several of those outs there came because the Cubs ran into them or, you know, they got them out on the bases. The inning may never have ended if not for any of that. So yeah, it is really ugly in Espino's case. You know, he does have options in a weird way because he was in the minor leagues for so long. So they could send him down and not cut him completely. But I think it's pretty safe to say at this point where his standing is in the organization didn't make the opening day roster been called up a couple times just when they needed help. It has not gone well pretty much in any of those outings. I don't think there's a whole lot left to see that makes you think something's going to change there. But without having another 
fallback plan that you know is going to be better, it's hard to say that they don't just keep him out there or at least keep him in the organization. I'm not saying that this guy would be a savior for the Nats bullpen, but we are approaching the one-year anniversary of the Tommy John surgery for Tanner Rainey. Uh, He's been on the 60-day injured list since opening day, March 30th. Is him pitching this season at the major league level going to happen? And if so, when do you think that that might be? Yes, I do believe it's going to happen. He is starting to face live hitters for the first time here in the last week or so. That's a great sign. Once you get through that and things go well, you send him on a rehab assignment. He's pitching in minor league games and it's probably you know a month or so from that point. So do the math. We're probably talking mid-August at the earliest, maybe September 1st. I know they wanted to be careful with that. They weren't going to force the issue. It's not like they said, hey, we really need this guy for the stretch run. They want to make sure that he gets back and feels good about himself going into the offseason and then know that he should, in theory, be a big part of the bullpen next year. So I think we're still probably a month away, give or take, from that happening. But I do expect him to pitch this year in the big leagues, barring any setbacks between now and then. I don't know that we've ever looked forward to a return quite as much as the Tanner Rainey return (laughs) that we're looking forward to now with what's going on with this Nats bullpen. Well, the Nats starting pitcher in this, again, 17-3 loss at the Cubs on Tuesday night was Patrick Corbin. He was coming off that great outing that he had just before the All-Star break, that 7-2 win over the American League West leading Texas Rangers at Nationals Park on July 9th. Corbin in that game, one run in seven innings, six strikeouts versus one walk. Uh, Corbin on Tuesday night, three runs in five and a third innings. Now, he allowed one run through five innings, but he then allowed two runs to tie the game at three in the bottom of the six. In facing the Cubs lineup for a third time in the game, although two of the three hits that he gave up in that Cubs two-run six were infield singles, including one on which second baseman Luis Garcia committed a throwing error. So it's not like Corbin necessarily got like hammered in facing that Cubs lineup for a third time through. Uh, Corbin for the game gave up six hits, a solo homer, and five singles. But he had six strikeouts versus one walk. He threw 99 pitches, 61 strikes versus 38 balls. He was so-so. I mean, you can't say that he was great, but you know, he obviously was not the Nats' biggest problem in this game on Tuesday night. No, but look, through five innings, he's given up one run on three hits. I thought had some of the best sliders we've seen from him this year was actually getting swings and misses. I I thought he looked really good to that point. The sixth inning, of course, starts to devolve on him. Some of it his fault, some of it not. I was a little surprised that the trigger to pull him was as, as quick as it was. He's at 99 pitches, so I'm not saying that he was at a very low number. But understanding what the situation was in the bullpen for this game, I thought Davey might push him up to 105, 110 even. He had had a long break with the All-Star break. Now, he was on the paternity list. His wife gave birth to their son. So I know he said he didn't actually throw a bullpen session in between from his last start. So maybe he wasn't quite as prepped as you would normally be. And that's why they didn't push him beyond that. But I sort of felt like it was six innings or bust from Corbin, no matter what. And he ends up only getting one out in the fifth before they make that move. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of Mackenzie Gore the previous night, just from a standpoint of he was pitching well, and it felt like the final line didn't necessarily represent what he was doing in the game. But, you know, you think about with this Nats bullpen, like, okay, Corbin only went five and a third innings. Even if he went like six and a third innings, you still have to cover multiple innings to get through the game. Like, you're not going to have complete games, game in, game out from your starters. Like, you're going to need some kind of competence from this bullpen. 
And I think that is what is so troubling from this game on Tuesday night. Like, yes, it's an extreme outlier. You're not going to give up 14 runs from your bullpen game in, game out. But you do need the bullpen to be there for you and to be something on which you can lean and, you know, get some production from. And it just kind of feels like, man, I don't know game in, game out where that production is going to come from. I mean, you know, even with Kyle Finnegan and Mason Thompson, like, How many people feel extremely confident in those guys? Like, they're the best of what the Nats have right now, but they certainly have looked human at various points in this season. So even if you get decent, if not good outings from your starting pitchers, you still need a bullpen, a functional, competent bullpen. And, you know, I think that's the real worry right now. Yeah, and if they do have to push Thompson and Finnegan the way that looks like they might have to now, who knows what kind of effect that is. And if they might falter at some point down the road from how much they have to be used, you know, let's see, they've been pretty good at this point, pretty durable, but it's not a pretty picture right now. And it is funny how quickly that kind of happened. This didn't, this wasn't just out of nowhere right now, but the Edwards injury really started. I don't think we are acknowledging enough how much they miss Carl Edwards as just a proven reliever who can get you through a sixth or seventh inning. Most times with a zero on the board, they really miss that. And then obviously the Harvey injury really threw a wrench into everything over the weekend. Yeah. And I think when Mason Thompson slumped, that also represented sort of a real fall off for the bullpen because he was such a key piece in the earlier portion of the season during which the bullpen actually was pretty good. And then when Thompson went awry, it felt like a lot of things started to come apart at that point. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Summer is here. The heat, the humidity, forcing your air conditioning unit into overdrive, leading to energy bills that are higher than James Wood's potential. (laughs) The solution, new windows from my friends at Window Nation, which is offering a great deal. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Protect your home and increase the value of your home with great new windows from Window Nation, which does windows right. You know, the average installer from Window Nation has over 16 years of experience with over 20 thousand windows installed. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Hey, Nats Chat. MLS All-Star Game this Wednesday. Tickets aren't cheap for this one with Arsenal coming to D.C., so you should check out the Game Time app. What would the baseball equivalent of this be? The Boston Red Sox are facing the KBO All-Stars in Seoul, Korea? Seems like a cool way to stage your All-Star Game either way. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for events like this one for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about Factor. 
Uh, so we on the Nats Chat podcast talk all the time about who is and will be a factor for the Nats. Well, the factor that I want to tell you about is as good as any top-notch prospect. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and it can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. With Factor, you skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning up, too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor is fresh, never frozen meals already in just two minutes, so all that you have to do is heat up and enjoy. Treat yourself to 34-plus weekly restaurant-quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon. Again, ready in just two minutes. And so here's a special deal for listeners of the Nats Chat podcast. Go to factormeals.com slash Chat. 50 and use the promo code NATSCHAT50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash NATSCHAT50 and use the promo code NATSCHAT50 to get 50% off. Here's Lane Thomas swinging and driving one to deep left center field. This is way back. This is going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Bang! Zoom goes Lane Thomas. He'd been hitless in his last seven at-bats, but he tees off on the first pitch thrown by Tyone and homers off of him for the second time this season, and it's the Nationals one and the Cubs nothing. The Cubs on Tuesday night, 17 runs. The Nats on Tuesday night, three runs. Uh, three runs on nine hits and three walks, two for nine with runners in scoring position. There were some bright spots for the Nats offensively. Cape Ruiz off getting on base four times in the 7-5 win on Monday night. Got on base three more times on Tuesday night. He is the Nats starting catcher and number five batter, two for three with two singles and a walk. Lane Thomas did homer. Uh, Lane as a starting right fielder and number two batter, one for five with two strikeouts. But the one was a really impressive solo homer. Thomas in an ads one run first, a one out first pitch solo homer on a bomb to left field for a one nothing Nats lead, 413 feet for StatCast. And Dominic Smith is actually hitting well lately. Uh, I know it may not feel that way to people, but Dominic Smith on Tuesday night as an ads starting first baseman, a number six batter, three for four with a double and two singles. I mean, I don't want to oversell what Dominic Smith is doing here, but he now, in this month of July, 261 batting average, 333 on base percentage, and a 478 slugging percentage. And it's that last number that stands out. He's actually starting to hit for some power. He's not necessarily, you know, mashing a bunch of homers, but we are seeing some doubles. I mean, the guy now has four doubles over his last four games. So at least there is like a pulse from him from a power hitting standpoint in these recent games. Yeah. And if you really look at the end of all this, where he stacks up, it's not good by any stretch of the imagination, but it's better than several others who get regular playing time for this team. He is far from the worst hitter in this lineup. Do you know who actually is the worst hitter in this lineup? Statistically, it's Corey Dickerson. We have not talked very much about him. Now he came through in a big spot in this game, two run single in the second inning. And that was a big moment for him because he has not done that very much. It's only his seventh hit in 30 at-bats with runners in scoring position this year. This is your starting left fielder, okay? Coming into the day, 239 average, 275 on base, 345 slugging percentage. His OPS plus coming into the day, 74. Only three guys who have played for the Nationals this year 
have a lower OPS plus, and those guys are Jeter Downs, Jake Alou, and Derek Hill. And what do those three guys have in common? None of them made it very long up here in the big leagues. They've mostly been at AAA. That's where Corey Dickerson is. I understand that this was not a huge offseason signing. I know they weren't counting on huge numbers from him, but they were expecting a lot more than this. And that has been an empty hole for them in left field from the left side of the plate. You hope that he would do enough to maybe garner some trade interest. That is not going to be the case at all. He has really given them very little. It was nice to see him come through in a spot in this game. He also dropped a routine fly ball in left field that still got an out on it because the Cubs runners got caught up. But we have not discussed him much. He hasn't done very much worthy of discussion. Corey Dickerson has been a huge disappointment this year. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys who's in that like Cesar Hernandez territory of he's here for a year and then he's gone and he will never be spoken of again by Nats fans. You know, it's like when you're a bad team and you're bad for multiple seasons, you have these guys who end up being like ghosts for your franchise. And it's like they were here and then they're gone and like they're pretty much forgotten. You know, and the Nats have had a bunch of those guys in recent years. You think about a Cesar Hernandez. You think about, you know, a Starling Castro. You think about a lot of other people who have been here. And it's like, oh, yeah, that guy, he was here. Yes, he was. Didn't do much. And that's why you probably do not remember him. Uh, some happier Nats items to get into here. Brady House has been promoted again. The Nats on Tuesday promoted third baseman Brady House from High A Wilmington to A Harrisburg. This marks the second promotion of Brady House in a little more than a month. The Nats on June 9th promoted House from Low A Fredericksburg to High A Wilmington. House in 16 games for Wilmington had an OPS of 907. And so just like that, uh, this guy now is soaring through the Nats minor league system. It is so good to see Brady House having the season that he's having. The Nats took House out of a high school in Georgia with the number 11 overall pick in the 2021 MLB draft. This is only his age 20 season. He had that disappointing 2022 season for Fredericksburg that ended in June of 2022 due to a back injury. But he in the 2022 season for Fredericksburg, 202 plate appearances, an OPS of just 731. He did not look very good for Fredericksburg. He was playing shortstop. He then, beginning with this season, made the transition to being a third baseman and house this season for Fredericksburg, 158 plate appearances, OPS of 869. Then he did well for Wilmington, and now he has been promoted to Harrisburg. Are you surprised that the Nats, after just 16 games for House and Wilmington, have bumped him up to Double A Harrisburg? I know you talked to Mike Rizzo prior to uh, Tuesday night's game. Yeah, I was very surprised. That's not one that I saw coming so quickly, and it's not a move they make very often. I mean, think about Juan Soto as the exception to that rule where he would spend about two weeks at each level before they bumped him up. So that's some pretty good company if you're going to do that. Now, it was interesting that Rizzo told us that he felt like all along House was going to finish this year at AA. He was going to get there eventually. And he just felt like he was performing so well, has taken the third base so well, might as well make the move now and see how he handles it. Now, they know he may struggle at first. It's an aggressive move for a guy who started the year you know, in low A ball, and now all of a sudden he's at double A. I think it's interesting and maybe not a coincidence that he and James Wood are now going to be teammates for a while. That's certainly the future, two of their brightest offensive prospects that they have. But I mean, he earned it. You can't dispute the numbers. 908 OPS at Wilmington, like I said, has played a really good third base, and they're really pleased with that development. And I mean, that makes me rethink the whole timeline now on this kid. Now, he's 20 years old, like you said. 
just drafted two years ago. And last year was essentially a lost year for him. So you don't want to get too worked up about this. But you get to double A, you're on the cusp. And at minimum, we're going to see him in big league camp next year, along with all these other guys. And there's a chance we see him in the big leagues at some point next season if things progress the way this is going. And that's not necessarily something I was thinking. I was kind of thinking 2025 all along for him. So, I mean, this is really one of the most significant developments for the Nationals in 2023. Brady House, who a lot of people were really concerned about at the end of last year, he has completely uh, reestablished himself as one of the premier prospects in baseball. Yeah, I mean, I think the takeaway is that next year, not necessarily at the beginning of the year, but next year, Brady House, James Wood, and Dylan Cruz all could slash should be playing for the Nats at the major league level. Like, I don't think that that's that far-fetched. I don't think that that's that, like, outside of the realm of possibility. In fact, I think you could label that scenario as more likely than unlikely. And that's an exciting thing to think about, that a year from now, you could have House as your regular third baseman, James Wood and Dylan Cruz as two of your three regular outfielders. I mean, how exciting would that be to see with now Wood and House at AA? And, you know, Dylan Cruz, you would think, is going to soar through the Nats minor league system. I mean, we'll see what ends up happening with him. By the way, the Nats have been signing left and right a bunch of their 2023 draft picks. The deadline by which teams have to sign picks is 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday July 25th. There's no reason to think that the Nats will not be signing Dylan Cruz, right? It's just a matter of, uh, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. But it seems like every indication is that this deal is going to get done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's a little haggling over the final dollar amount on the signing bonus, but there's not a lot of room for them to work with here. The slot value for it is just under $9 million. Now, the Nats saved money by signing lower picks to a lot lower below slot values, but they pretty much used all of that on their second and third round picks. So there's very little left to give to Dylan Cruz. And if you're Dylan Cruz and Scott Boris, you can hold out for a little bit, but what's the alternative? You're going to go back to LSU for another year? No, you're not going to do that. So I've been told this thing is pretty much a formality. It's going to happen probably at some point this week. I would be willing to bet that during the Nationals upcoming homestand, Dylan Cruz is introduced at Nationals Park. That'd be good. That'd be exciting to see. And then one more item. So Brady House is having a really nice season. Not having a good season is another Nats prospect. Outfielder Elijah Green, who the Nats took out of IMG Academy in Florida with the number five overall pick in the 2022 MLB draft. Uh, He for Loe Fredericksburg this season has an OPS of just 644. Hasn't played in multiple weeks. And as was the case with House last year with the back injury, why Green hasn't played lately had been a mystery. The way things work in minor league baseball is kind of peculiar. Guys will not play and you won't necessarily know why. I've never been a big fan of that, but we didn't know what was going on with Elijah Green. Well, sure enough, Mike Rizzo told you guys on Tuesday that uh, Green is dealing with a sprained left wrist. The strikeouts for Elijah Green certainly stand out. Now, this is only his age 19 season. So, I mean, I don't want to hammer the guy. And as we saw with Brady House, you can have a disappointing minor league campaign one year and then the next year get right back on track. But man, I was looking at these numbers. Elijah Green for Fredericksburg this year, 248 plate appearances, a whopping 106 strikeouts. I don't doubt the validity of the wrist injury. But I would think Green not playing for these last few weeks maybe also serves another purpose of, you know, kind of take a break, reset, 
and rethink some things. I mean, that is that is pretty astounding. 106 strikeouts in 248 plate appearances. Yeah, I think uh, the injury was well-timed. It's a legitimate injury. He got x-rays, MRI. He was in a, a brace in it for a while. He is what I'm told now in Florida rehabbing, and they expect him back in Fredericksburg fairly soon. But yeah, use that as an opportunity to work on some things because there is a real concern about this. And he's a guy who, coming out of the draft, had all the athleticism in the world, but he struck out a lot in high school as well. So this didn't come out of the blue. There was a concern this might be the case once he reached pro ball. Now, plays an excellent outfield. He runs the base as well. And according to Mike Rizzo, when he does make contact, it's really good contact. So that's all good. But you got to make contact a little bit more than he is. And they acknowledge that. And it's something that they have to work on. We'll see. There's a little time left to do this year. Rizzo mentioned that James Wood coming out of high school had some similar issues with bad on ball skills. And we've seen how that has worked out for him very well. So there's still plenty of time. Nobody's given up on him. He's very young, very inexperienced. But that is a big move for him to make. And he is going to have to, once he gets healthy, start to show some signs of progress of pitch recognition, not swinging at pitches out of the zone, especially breaking balls. You're not going to get very far in this game if you can't do that. You can hit a ball 500 feet if you can hit a fastball over the plate, but you're not getting many fastballs over the plate. Well, unless you were facing the Nationals bullpen on Tuesday night, then you saw a lot of fastballs over the plate. Yeah, Nats Cubs on Tuesday night, a.k.a. batting practice for the Chicago Cubs on Tuesday night. Hit us up on Twitter. Tell us what you think. You can reach us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you on board. Hit up Tim Shover, see what we can do for you. Again, that email address is NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast. Podcast music, visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we leave you now with a portion of a conversation our own Tim Shover's had with the great Jim Callis, MLB Pipeline senior writer, talking about the man who the Nats took with the number two overall pick in the 2023 draft, Dylan Cruz. With the number two pick in the 2023 MLB draft, the Washington Nationals select Dylan Cruz, an outfielder from LSU. The Detroit Tigers had the next pick. I mean, he's the best hitter in the draft. You know, he'll be one of the best hitters in the minor leagues as soon as he signs. You know, it's plus power. He's running better this year. You could say plus speed. I think you, you feel like he's got a good chance to stick in center field. Where coming into the year, you were hoping he'd stick in center field. The arm's fine. But, I mean, you're talking about a potential, you know, 300, 25, 30 home run guy who might be able to play center field. And and, and he controls the strike zone exceptionally well. So I, I don't think – I think he's the type of guy who should not have a very difficult time adjusting to professional baseball. I, I think he's going to hit the ground running. And I, I could see him in the big – like, again, depending on who takes him and, and the makeup of that team. If you told me he was in the big leagues at some point in 2024, I think that's you know pretty realistic. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.